guys, welcome back to Revive School. Yep, Kevin, same shirt, brand new book today. Oh, oh and clean shaven today. Feels really good. We got a new set. You know, we're kind of like, ah, it's fine, but we got a new painting. There's a lot of new things going on. Uh, we've got Rich, Kevin, and Tom. That's still the same. I'm still here. And here's the, here's the cool part, you guys. We are in a whole new segment. Now, Kevin, we're getting into an area called, some call it the other letters. We prefer to call it the general letters. Uh, it, it's going to consist of eight books of the Bible. And the first one that we're going to talk through this week is the book of Hebrews. It's going to go into Hebrews, James, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st and 2nd, 3rd John, and Jude, which means we're really nearing the completion of the New Testament. Obviously, we haven't completed and talked through uh, the book of Revelation, but guys, that's how close we're getting. Like, this is kind of crazy because when we're done with this section, this segment of eight letters, then we jump to the minor prophets in the Old Testament, and then we're done with the Old Testament. And so it's this, I, I would just say, it's just like, this thing's going to keep pressing in. Now, I have a funny history with the book of Hebrews. As we start this new book, you know, my first time I was ever on the radio where I did a daily radio program was with the book of Hebrews. Who, who signs up to agree to teach radio for the first time ever on the book of Hebrews? I don't know. I mean, I remember I bought a book, Dummies to Helping with Hebrews. You know, those like those yellow books, right? I thought I had it all figured out. Man, let me just tell you, there's a lot of intense, thick, complicated, like, stuff. But here's when I say stuff. Here's the beauty of it all. And this is why I'm excited to teach through Hebrews. Now that we've gone through Revive School and that we're plowing through this, we're, it's really, Hebrews is really a blend of the old and the new. Now, there's no other way around this. It's Matthew 5.17 on steroids. Okay, so Matthew 5.17, Jesus is talking and he says, hey, look, okay, guys, I did not come to destroy the law. He says, don't assume that I came to destroy the law. Or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And that's exactly what all of the book of Hebrews is. It's a fulfillment, literally, you guys, of the law and the prophets. Now, we always have this phrase, this one word to describe the Messiah, to describe Jesus. Because remember, we're all about the complete portrait of the Messiah in every book, in every book of the Bible. And the phrase that we have, and it's kind of one of those... It's kind of the obvious one. If you read through the book of Hebrews, there's multiple layers that you could look at. But the one that we're going to go with is high priest. So when we get into the book of Hebrews, we're going to get into like Jesus's role as a high priest. Kevin, you're really good at this. Just just in general, when we say high priest, I mean, how, how does that tie into the Old Testament? The Old Testament required the high priest. He was the one that uh, went before the Holy of Holies once a year to basically take the pardon to cry to God to God and he so the high priest so he was the middle guy he was the the mediator and that's the role of the high priest and so if you want to go to Hebrews 4 verse 14 one of the theme verses in the book of Hebrews he says therefore since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens Jesus is the only one who could go Jesus the son of God and so let us hold fast to the confession that Jesus is our high priest. Just one other language, Kevin. If you can go to Hebrews 5, verse 10. Hebrews 5, verse 10. This is the role of Jesus in the book of Hebrews. And he was declared by God a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek is mentioned twice in, in, in the scriptures. Where I'm not going to get into all that, but Melchizedek was labeled a priest and a king. Okay, The high priest of righteousness and also the king of Salem, the king of peace, and so here we have Jesus was being declared by God to serve as a high priest, just like Melchizedek did. So again, there's this 
order of this fulfillment that Christ came in. And this is his role. And so it just all ties together. And so for me, when I originally read the book of Hebrews and taught it on radio in Danny Jacobs, little um, hut. There's no other way around this. Like I literally sat in his living room. I'm not describing his house as a hut. I'm describing the thing I sat in. I sat in this little sound protected booth. And Rich, you would love this. No lights. So I had to have a flashlight like this to read my notes. And then there was a spit guard on the microphone. And then uh, I think his dog's name was Mo, I think. And Mo was always barking. The birds were always sitting on the... And Danny would go out and he'd have to start clapping. So like my memory of Hebrews is kind of sick and twisted. Can I come out now, Danny? You know, kind of like, oh, Kyle, stay in there. You're not done yet. You know, and every once in a while, Danny would feed me some leftovers from his house, you know, that he's had for a couple of days in his kitchen. It's just great memories. Praise the Lord for Jesus being our high priest that we could come to him. But like, here's why I want to say this. When I taught this long ago, <laughs> which Hebrews 1, 1, uh, like I didn't understand the bigger picture. I didn't understand, which is why I think Hebrews was so hard for me then. And I'm not saying it's not now. Please don't understand that. But I just think like I was still stuck on the elementary messages that even we'll get to today in Hebrews 4 and Hebrews 5 that were still stuck on some of the basics. I'd never saw the bigger picture that I needed to be moving on. And now here I am. I feel like I'm teaching with confidence in the Lord through the spirit of God that I didn't have back then. Because I think sometimes here's the reality as an evangelical Christian, you know what it is? It's like, oh, this is. This is, I don't, I don't really tie it into the Old Testament much. I didn't hear much of the Old Testament. In fact, the church that I grew up, you guys, didn't even believe that the Old Testament was true today. Ah, oh, they're great stories, historical stories. But if we're not careful, you guys, if we treat it just as a historical story, but not as an actual uh, uh, word of God, alive and active, you will never see Jesus as the fulfillment of the high priest. And so I want to kind of give you a little bit of a backdrop. Here's the crazy thing. And it bothers type A people like to the utmost, which would be me. I don't know who the author is, nor do you. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. What was it, a female or a, you know, a male? Well, let's just go gender neutral. No, like, like, let's not even get into all that stuff. Like, that was a rabbit trail. You were like, oh, God. <laughs> Here's what I would just say is, is that, you know, the epistle, uh, <laughs> the original, the traditional Greek title was to the Hebrews. Okay. Uh, and that's about it. Gavin, we just know it's written to the Hebrews. There's no identification of the recipients. Um, you know, and so you're just kind of like, well, what does this look like? We do know this as far as just, uh, it, it could have been Paul. It could have been Barnabas. It could have been Silas, Apollos, Luke, Philip, Priscilla, Aquila, Clement of Rome. So the reason I'd mentioned male or female is just because some people think it could have been both. You know, it could have been. Or what about the Clement of Rome? Who threw that one in? It's a long shot. It's a long shot. Uh, you know, and they base this off of vocabulary style, literary, literary c- characteristics. But the reality is, is not many people uh, can really pinpoint it. You know, I, I think one of the things that a lot of people that you consistently hear is maybe it was somebody of Paul's understudy. Um, because the language of Paul, sometimes it's similar, but... Here's the deal. If it's somebody that learned under Paul, maybe there's similar language, but then they, they function in their own style. Again, we, we really, we really don't know. Please don't get caught up on the author. I know it, it would be nice. I know it would be fun to be like, Oh, I, I think I got it. I got it figured out. No, we, we don't. And so I just think in my mind and in my thoughts, I, I love what some people just say. Well, at least we can say, 
the Holy Spirit wrote it. <laughs> Kevin, are you okay with that? I'm okay with it. I am, I'm actually okay with that as well. Okay, wh- when was this actually written? Okay, we do have a timeline up here uh, that you guys have. I think you, you put together so beautifully, right? Uh, <laughs> and so here, here's what it kind of looks like. So you have Moses was born ish timing. Whenever we say this, it's always ish. <laughs> so you got 1525. Moses was born Exodus from Egypt. Enter promised land. We know this. We're talking about the Old Testament prophet, uh, uh, time frame. We hung out here all kinds of time, right? In the major prophets, the temple was destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 BC. Now here it is. The, the temple in 586, that was the first temple, Kevin, that was destroyed. Okay. This was Solomon's temple. Then you have uh, Zerubbabel, right? He comes in uh, and Herod's temple and they build the temple again. So by the end, 70 AD, the temple was destroyed. Many people would say that the he- Hebrews was written before the second temple was destroyed in 65, somewhere in between 65 to 69 AD. So that's kind of the image. It's kind of the picture uh, that you can have. I will tell you this. Timothy had just been released from prison. If you go to Hebrews 13, verse 23, persecution was becoming severe. Okay, so persecution was becoming severe in Hebrews 13, 23. Be aware that our brother Timothy has been released. Well, Kevin, automatically, if he's in prison, you can imply things aren't looking good for believers. If he comes soon enough, he will be with me when I see you. So again, to go back to the temple being destroyed, persecution is taking place. That's why I love the parallel of the major prophets right before 586 and the book of Hebrews right before possibly 70 AD. As far as uh, any other context, you know, I think uh, if you go to go to Hebrews 12, verse four, just in the same vein, if you don't mind, in the same vein of Hebrews 12, four and struggling against sin, yet you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. This is talking about persecution. Okay, so in struggling against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. There's another language in Hebrews 10. You don't need to go there. Verse 32 through 39. They were being tempted, you guys, to literally cast aside their identification with Christ. Why? Because of persecution. Okay, there's a lot of layers here. This is not the only theme. We're going to get into multiple themes, but this is one of them. If I decide to take this route uh, of following Christ 100%, I'm going to experience persecution. And so there's this line that the author, the writer is saying, guys, I cannot have you go this way. I need you to hold firm to the message to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's interesting when you study the audience, like who's he, who's he writing to? Okay. Who is he writing to? Well, who's, who's he writing to? Who's she reading, writing to? Who's the author writing to? There's three groups. One is, is the believers. Okay. Primary group two, they were unbelievers who were intellectually. This comes from John MacArthur, by the way. They were unbelievers who were intellectually convinced uh, of the gospel. Oh, I've heard it. Okay, yeah. How many times do we interact with people, you guys, that are non-believers? Oh, yeah, Jesus is the Son of God, right? Does that make sense? And then you have the third group, who the unbelievers who were attracted. Okay, but they had not made a decision yet. They're just on the fence. Some would say, oh, yeah, I've heard of this. And then the other ones are like actually drawn to the message, but never made the commitment. Okay, so you basically have three types of of people um, that you're that this author is writing to. So, all right, let's get into a little bit of the meat. If we can remember the picture of Jesus as the high priest, Mindy's 
Mindy's painting is unbelievable. We'll get into this. You have the butterflies. You have obviously Jesus uh, on the cross, but clearly he's on the cross because he serves as the high priest. It gives us access to the father. Again, we'll get all that. The key. What does that even look like? Uh, I'll just say this. The key to the father was Jesus's ex, uh, his sacrifice. And Mindy even says, I painted a gold key symbolizing this is the very key for our eternity through his blood. And Jesus, Mindy even writes, I like this, holds the key for the better covenant. This language, Jesus is better. Kevin, if you'll throw this up here on the screen, this is a common, common language. I want to just do a big, 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 big picture, and then we'll begin to get into it today, okay? What you're going to see in the book of Hebrews is Jesus is better than somebody, okay? What you're going to see today is in Hebrews 1, Jesus is superior. Jesus is better than the angels. So the angels serve as a shadow for what? He serves as I am better than what you guys are used to. I mean, that's really all what it comes down to. In, in Hebrews 2, you have the message of angels is a foreshadow. But what is Jesus? Jesus is better uh, than the message of angels. His message is better than those. Uh, it, it, this sounds so obvious, but all of this points to Jesus. When in doubt, it's Jesus. In fact, uh, I don't know the answer, Alex. It's Jesus, right? This is kind of what we're after here. So in Hebrews 3, Jesus is better. Jesus is superior than I love, I love these pictures, by the way. He's superior than Moses. Jesus, the high priest, is superior to Aaron. Aaron, Kevin, was the Old Testament high priest, Aaron. So again, Jesus is superior. In Hebrews 5, we're going to walk through this, you guys, every day. Jesus is superior than Melchizedek. Here you have it again. And then here you have in Leviticus, uh, Hebrews 7, Jesus is superior. He's better than the Levitical priesthood. Okay, so again, all of this is Jesus is with us in these days. And these guys are with the fathers in the past. Okay, again, we'll probably reference this. This could be a a regular occurring uh, chart that we have. But when we get into Hebrews 1, you have to understand, you're going to see this language that Jesus is greater than, uh, specifically, uh, the angels. So, Kevin, if you would, Hebrews 1, verse 1, long ago, this should be like a Star Wars movie, right? Long ago, God spoke to the fathers. I practiced my voice on this long ago. God spoke to the fathers by the prophets. So here's the deal. God is speaking to the fathers. Who are our fathers, Kevin? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, right? He's speaking to the patriarchs, okay? Again, this is who the audience is, by the prophets. So he's speaking specifically through Jeremiah. He's speaking through uh, Daniel. He's speaking through Isaiah, right? He's speaking to our fathers through these prophets. And here's what I love, at different times and in different ways, Multiple times God can actually show up. And in fact, over the course of 1800 years, from Job to Nehemiah, the Old Testament was written in 39 books. So Hebrews 1, 1 is kind of like this description of, it's a quick summary of the Old Testament right here. (laughs) By the way, God spoke to the fathers through the prophets and he spoke at different times and he spoke in different ways. John MacArthur says he spoke through visions. He spoke through symbols. He spoke through parables. He spoke in poetry. He spoke in, yes, literary form. And the style varied, but here's what I love. In all of Hebrews 1.1, it's always God's revelation. God is constantly speaking to the fathers by his messengers. And when he does it in different ways, how about, how about Isaiah? Let's bring up Isaiah. 
yeah, I'd like you to run around naked for three years. That's kind of weird. How about, oh yeah, uh, Jeremiah, I need you to lay on your side, right? With Ezekiel laid on his side for 390 days. Plus, then he on 40 on the other. And like constantly these guys are doing weird things. But God says, this is how I spoke to my people back then. And then he says in verse two, in these last days. So, so that's how God spoke. If you want to view it as 39 books, you want to view it as the Old Testament, fine. Now, in these last days, okay, in these last days, you guys, this is the time when the Messiah would have come. Okay, in this language that now that the Messiah has come, he's spoken to us by his son. So the comparison has been, I speak to you through the fathers, through the prophets. Now I'm speaking to us through his son. God has appointed him. And then here's what he does, you guys. In verses two, three and four, he begins to describe Jesus seven different ways. I love this language in the language. If we don't get any farther than these seven things, I'm okay with that. So in these last days, okay, Kevin, how does he speak to us through Jesus? God, man, Kevin, you're on it this day. I can just Kevin. What is the answer? Jesus. Yeah, that's good. This is good. Uh, I don't know. Jesus. All right. So here's what he does. In these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him. And here's what here we go. It says heir of all things and made the universe through him. So number one, Jesus is the heir of all things. All right, Rich, Kevin, Tom, when you hear the word heir, what, what does it automatically imply? What has God done with Jesus? He's left an inheritance of some sort. So the inheritance would be everything, right? <laughs> he is the heir. He has actually been given it all. I love this picture. He's been given authority over every single thing. It's kind of a cool picture, isn't it? Oh, by the way, his son, so this would be Jesus, is the heir of all things. Literally, the heir of all things. Now watch this. It says, because of time, I'm going to keep going here. Um, number two, it says, and he made the universe through him. Kevin, when I first taught on this, I never viewed Jesus, this is just an immature thought, as a creator. I never viewed Jesus as the creator, but the, the scripture says God made the universe through Christ. It, it, it kind of gives you go back to the high priest, right? We have access to the father through the high priest, through Christ. Now the creation has taken place through Christ. Uh, if you want to go to Kevin, John 1 verse 3, John 1 verse 3, I mean, Jesus made everything. It says in John 1 3, all things were created through Christ. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. So <laughs> I'll just keep it simple. There's a tree. Who, who created the tree? That would be Jesus. Right? The Father created it through Jesus, the tree. It's interesting, though, John and the writer of Hebrews use the same language. It's through. Good observation. Kevin, when in doubt, what's the answer? Jesus. Okay, good. All right, we're on the same page. Okay, so in Hebrews 1, you're going to see seven different attributes, seven different characteristics, seven different affirmations about the role of Christ. One is, is he's the heir of all things. Jesus has literally been given everything. Two, everything was created through Christ. Now, if you want to keep going in verse 3, Hebrews 1, verse 3, the Son is the radiance of God's glory. So we're just going to say... He is the radiance 
of God's glory. Some people would say he's the manifest of God's being. So in other words, what you see is, is he's the brightness. Uh, there's a sending forth of a light. Uh, he is shining. If you want to go to John eight twelve, Kevin, John eight twelve, John eight twelve says this. I mean, it sounds obvious, but it's there's the seven I am's, and he just says, "I am the light of the world." This has that same image, you guys. Jesus is the light of the world. He is the radiance of God's glory. Anything you guys want to, in other words, he is God in this. There's not a question. He is. Uh, God in all of this. And then here's the part that really messes with people. And it says, if you want to go back to verse three, the exact representation, the exact expression of his nature. So you can look at it in multiple ways. He's the perfect representation or the expression of God. I'm going to go to John 14, verse nine for me, Kevin. I love this image. He is the perfect, John MacArthur says he's a perfect imprint of God. John 14, 9 says, have, have I been among you? Jesus says, have I been among you all this time without your knowing me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So if you have seen Christ, you have seen the Father. Kevin, what can that only imply? He is God. He's God. If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. What an awesome picture. So in Hebrews 1, the unknown writer talking to a group of Hebrew believers, says, by the way, Jesus is the heir of all things. Jesus is also the creator. He's the radiance of God's glory. He, he actually reflects God's light. Now, what, what's crazy when I say the word reflection, don't get caught up and just say, well, he's only a reflection. No, he, he's reflecting God himself. <laughs> and then in this, number four is that he is a perfect representation. He is the, the imprint. He is the expression of God here on earth. Jesus is God. And he's greater than anything else that we have have seen. Uh, if you want to keep going, Kevin, if you don't mind, and it says this, he's the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And, and so when you get into this sustaining, I think you can just, it's called, he is the sustainer of all things. Again, I'd like to go through this a little bit more, but we can't because of time. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. Uh, that word sustainer, I think for me, I've, I've always viewed that as, I remember when I first taught this as the glue. You know, Jesus holds it all together. He, he keeps it all together based on what, I'm sorry, based on what? By his powerful word. When, when there is no standard, then there's nothing being held together. Jesus clearly is the one that puts all of this together. He keeps this thing uh, intact. I don't know how else to describe this. It's an effective word that he brings all together. Can you go to uh, Colossians 1, verse 17 for me, Kevin, please? Colossians 1, verse 17. I love this image. He is before all things. This is Christ. And by him, all things hold together. Let's just state the obvious. Your life is falling apart. And you don't know Christ. Jesus promises you. He says, man, I'll, I'll put it together for you. It doesn't make it perfect. No. But it means you have somebody to actually say, I'm going to help you get through all this. I'm going to hold you in this process. The unknown writer of Hebrews, he's talking about the high priest. He says, all right, Jesus is the heir of all things. He's the creator. He's the radiance of God's glory. He's the perfect representation of God. He's a sustainer of all things. And then I think the one that's kind of the obvious one, it says, and after making purifications, I'm back in verse three, after making purification for sins, 
Uh, it says he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so what do you have here is that Jesus is, this is the one that everybody kind of would go to. He's the Savior. After making purification for sins on the cross as the key, what does he do? He sits down at the right hand of the majesty on high. I mean, multiple verses you could go to. Uh, let's go to one of them, Kevin. Go to Titus 2, verse 14, if you don't mind. Titus 2, verse 14. Scripture just says he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. So he gave himself for us on the cross to redeem us from all of what? All lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a special people, people eager to do works. He serves as our savior because of what he did on the cross. And then finally, number seven, uh, if you can just say it, when it says he sits down at the right hand of the majesty uh, on high, what you can imply is, is that he is the exalted Lord. He's the exalted Lord. He's now sitting at the right hand of the majesty on high, interceding on our behalf. Now, this is kind of the, the incredible backdrop. If you ever want to do a study, please study this. Hebrews 1, uh, 2, and 3. There's so much meat in each one of these sections, but you're like, I want to get to know Christ better. This is a great way to do this. Especially when you have inter people interacting with you, they're like, oh, Jesus isn't God. Man, just study Hebrews 1, 2, and 3. That study will take you everywhere, you guys. By him saying he's the creator, by him saying he's the exact representation of God, by him saying he's the sustainer of all things, clearly there's a picture that the author of Hebrews wants us to embrace. And then when you get into verses 4 through 14, here's this picture that we haven't even got to today, but Jesus is going to be painted as superior. He's going to be greater than the angels. It says in verse 4, so he became higher in rank than the angels. Just as the name he inherited is superior to theirs. Verse 5, Scripture says, For to which of the angels did he ever say, You're my son. Today I become your father again. I will be his father and he will be my son. In other words, he never said that to Michael. He never said that to, uh, to Gabriel. He didn't ever say that to any of his angels. No, he said this to his son. Man, you're greater than the angels. Verse 6, when he, when he again brings his firstborn into the world, he says, and all God's angels must worship him. So here's this image. In the Old Testament, Kevin, the angels were elevated. I mean, they, they were the messengers that came and spoke truth into his fathers, into the prophets, right? They're the ones who spoke truth into them. But now those angels are now worshiping. Kevin, here it is. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus is superior than angels. Jesus is better. Jesus is greater than angels. That's why we don't worship angels, you guys. We worship Jesus. Verse 7, Scripture then just says, uh, and about the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his servants a fiery flame. But to the Son, your throne God is forever and ever, and the scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of justice. When you hear your throne God is forever and ever, you automatically go back to 2 Samuel 7, don't you? This, this kingdom, this lineage, this throne that's going to be established through the high priest, it continues on. It's a scepter of justice. And so here you have this beautiful picture of Christ in all of this. Let me, let me just jump down to verse 13. Now to which of the angels has ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool? <laughs> he, he never said that. Are they not? Angels are just, look at this. Now I don't say just, but they're powerful. It says they are not all, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve those who are going to inherit salvation? So here's the one picture I just want you to get. The role of angels, according to Hebrews 1.14, is to serve as ministering uh, spirits to help those that are going out sharing the gospel for people that are about to inherit salvation. They go out and they help prepare the way for us to deliver the gospel. And the gospel is because of Jesus. All right, guys, this is Hebrews. Uh, I, man, 
we flew through this. This is the backdrop, but all of this you have to understand is pointing to Christ, serving as a high priest. And oh, by the way, here are seven different characteristics of who he is. And at the end of Hebrews, four through, really, four through 14, you have this picture of, and by the way, please don't forget, Jesus is better, greater than any angel will ever be. And so I think one of the points is, is we worship Christ, not the angels. All right, guys, we'll talk to you tomorrow as we continue to plow through Hebrews 2. Thanks. Thanks.